Well, we're going to make an attempt to finish the second half of the message that I started from Philippians last week, but at 9 o'clock I did not finish. So it's likely that we are in a three-parter here, because it's, it's just been this, the neatest thing just to see the Holy Spirit kind of come and go, just st- stay here a little bit, you know, just stay here a little bit. And that's all right, because I don't know about you, but I've discovered in my life that the most important thing to do at any given time is whatever God's up to, right? Whatever God is doing, let him be in control. So we're going to continue in this stop number 46 on our Through the Bible, and uh, 46B today, as part of 46A, B, and C, uh, that I did not know fully until this morning. We are in the book of Philippians, so if you were here last week, it's going to help you a lot, because I'm going to assume that knowledge. You know that, that we'll just assume the context is, yes, it's the Apostle Paul, yes, he's in prison, and yes, Philippi is an ancient city in Macedonia, and the believers there were largely Gentile. With that context in mind, we're going to move on ahead and just revisit the high high spots of the book of Philippians real quickly. Chapter 2, the divine kenosis passage. Kenosis means emptying. That description of Jesus who came and emptied himself in order to be what he needed to be for us. That's an amazing passage of, of, of profound theological depth. You also notice a high spot in the book of Philippians from last week is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're saved. You don't need anything else. There's nothing else to add. You can't add to your salvation. You can't add anything to the perfect Lamb of God dying for our sins, right? And Paul said, yeah, I've got all this stuff. I've got this big law degree. I'm a Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin, blah, 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 blah. And he said, I count it all as scubalon, as a pile of stinking poop, is the Greek word. That's what all that's worth compared to the, he says, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, right? The sufficiency of Christ. We looked last week real quickly at that high point that Paul's in prison, that incredible perspective that he had that though he's in prison for doing what? For preaching the gospel, for preaching the resurrection. He's essentially in prison for singing the song that we all just sang. And he was in prison for declaring the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he has this incredible perspective while he's in prison, doesn't he? That while he, I'm sure he wasn't happy about being in prison, the happiness factor, but he said, but it's a really great thing that I'm in here because how else would all these guards and prisoners have come to know Jesus, right? And what an incredible perspective that no matter what we're going through anytime, that that perspective is somehow, it's, it's there somewhere in your world and you can find it by way of the Holy Spirit. And then the thing that I got stuck on last week was a pastor's affection, When Paul just said to the Philippians, though I'm not with you, I I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And just dialed into that thing that, you know, he loved the Philippian believers. And I get that. Because I love you guys. I mean, I really do, and I get that. And that's a function of time. We've been together a long time, and we've come to know one another, and the Holy Spirit, we've been in a lot of experiences together, and just that affection of a pastor for his people. And so that's what we hit last week, and that's where we stopped. We never made it to the hot spot, which is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. 
again, for those of you who may be new, when we go through this, when we're in the, through the Bible part of our thinking, uh, I always look for something that I call the hot spot, something in that book that I think God really wants to use to speak to us. And here it was, uh, Philippians 1, 3 through 6, which is the Pilgrim's Progress, and it would help if I, you had been a part of the introduction last week for even to know why I'm saying that, right? But in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, here is where I think God wants us to put our attention for this week and apparently next. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. <laughs> He's not done with us yet, that's right. And what this is saying is that being a Christian is an ongoing process that should, should be showing lifelong progress, that we're never done. We're never, thank God I'm not what I used to be, but oh God, make me now work, keep working so I won't be what I am, right? Let's keep going. And this is, a, this is a word that we use in the church called sanctification. And sanctification is a word that refers to that ongoing process of transformation from where you were when you met Christ to where you will be when you go to be with Christ. And that is a lifelong journey called sanctification. Now, it's likely that with this many people here, that some of you have sat under a teaching at some point in your life where perhaps sanctification was taught to you as a state, uh, as a state of perfection, that it's possible for one to walk with the Lord in such a way so that they become perfected, and in those circles, that's uh, called, you know, you, you're sanctified now. That's a radically minority interpretation of, of the word sanctification in the New Testament, and I don't think a good one. I don't think the New Testament ever says that we're going to be made perfect until we're with perfection in heaven, that it's going to be a lifelong process. I think that kind of sanctification confuses that word with another church word called justification. And justification, you know, it sounds like, it's, like it is what, how it sounds, that we're justified. That because of our sin, something needs to be done to justify us before God, correct? And what that is, is that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died on the cross, rose from the dead for us, and so that by having faith in his name, by responding to his offer of salvation in faith, then we are justified. That is a state of being. That is a state of being. You're saved. You're justified. You were once condemned. Now you're justified. You were once dead. Now you're alive. That is a state of being. Because a person is either justified or they're not. It's a state of being. One is either justified or they're not. And that justification comes by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives. And so if you have, you are. If you have not, you are not. 
And that is a state justification. Sanctification, by contrast, is not a state of being, but it's the process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ as you go through your life. And that's what this is really talking about. So if we get back to our text here, you can see that um, it's really a journey that's going to, that we're going to be on forever. Because it says in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until what? What does it say? The day of Christ Jesus. Well, what's that? That's either when he's coming back for all us all, or we go to him individually as our time comes. That's the day of Christ Jesus. So this thing that he's confident of is a process that's going to be continuing through our whole lives. No matter how long we're here, we're going to be growing in our walk with Jesus Christ. And this speaks to both the person and purpose of the Christian. Remember I told you that Rob and I are committed this year to weaving into our teaching uh, uh, biblical answers to the question, who am I? That's person. And what am I doing here? Purpose. This sanctification speaks to both of those things. As far as a person here, here's your identity. You're not done yet. You're not done yet. That's not because you've done something wrong or haven't done anything right. That is the nature of being a Christian is to be incomplete. That's part of your nature. So just get, get good with that, okay? In terms of purpose, your purpose is to keep cooperating with the Holy Spirit as he works in, our, in your life so that you grow and so that every day is a different is a different version of you in some respects than the day before, okay? Sometimes people get frustrated when I talk with them that, man, I've been working at this so long and I haven't arrived yet, yet, right? I haven't got there yet. It's like, I know, right? Me either. We're not going to arrive until we go home, okay? This is a lifelong process. Let's look at... Um, Verse 6 again of this text, and I want you to notice something. I want, you to, I want you to see the profound confidence that Paul had that God is going to finish the work that he started in them. Being confident of this, confident of what, you ask? Go ahead. <laughs> That's so weak. Confident of what? What? Okay. Confident that he who began a good work in you, who is that? Yeah, that the Lord, right? That God, that the Lord Jesus Christ, who started something in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this sanctification thing, in some circles, it puts an awful lot of responsibility on you, and it's kind of your whole lifelong process of getting it together, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. What this says is sanctification is a process of cooperating with the Holy Spirit so that he who began a good work in you at your day of salvation, that's the beginning. He started something in, in uh, justification day, right? We'll carry it on to completion. That God's going to do that. But he started it. He started it. How many of you guys like me ever got in a fight with your brother? Yeah, and your mom's got you by the... And, and what do you say? He started it. That's your defense, right? He started it. I pummeled his face because he started it. He started it. So there's always some justification that you could be who you were, do what you do, because he started it. 
Well, guess what, believers? God started this. Saving you wasn't even your idea. He started it. God started it. God reached into your life. He called you out of darkness, the Bible says, into his wonderful light. He started it. He put something inside of you that sanctification says he wants to carry on to completion. You're his project. You're his problem. Hello? Okay. God's going to finish this. You just got to cooperate. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 Paul just repeats this theme about sanctification being a process. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Why is he absent? Where is he? He's in prison, right. He says, so, hey, it's great that you guys obey God when I'm there looking at you, but this is fantastic that when I'm not there, you're still obeying God. And he says, continue, that's a process word, right? Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So catch this, that God is working something in you. You're saved, justified, that's a state, that was a moment in time. You're forever saved. Devil himself can't change that. You're saved. If it's an authentic salvation, you're saved. Your name, the Bible says, has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There you are, okay? And, it, and from that then, God, it says, he's working something in you. And what I think this is, from my view, is it's a reversal of original sin. So you know in the book of Genesis when everything was going along just fine to the whole snake and apple thing, right? And then, and then original sin came into the world. Adam and Eve fell and ruined it for all of us, Right? Don't worry, you'd have done the same thing, right? It's true. So it's a human nature is what that's about. And so we're broken, we're apart from God. We were apart from God until Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. And in doing that, he made the full payment for our sin so that as we have faith in his name, then we are saved. And so what was taken from us in the garden, that idyllic relationship with God, can be given back to us now through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. We can get that back. That's what he's putting into us. So it was taken from us in original sin, and through Christ, he's putting something back into us. He's putting his life back where there was death. You with me, yes or no? Yes, that's a pretty good yes. I won't start again. Good. It's a reversal of original sin, and then this process is something that occurs over a lifetime. Now, I want you also to notice, I think this is really interesting. Paul's kind of a pretty big deal, right? He's a big deal. And it's like, be like Paul. Wow, yeah, who wouldn't want to be like Paul in his walk with the Lord? But he says in this book, he's on the exact same journey as we are. Check out chapter 3, verse 12. Paul's saying, he's talking about, you know, Jesus and all this stuff he's talking about, attaining to the resurrection. And he says, not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect. He said, I'm not there. Paul is, is confessing. Self-revelation. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul, the big dude apostle, Paul guy, he's on the same journey. It's, it's the person and purpose of our faith is to be on this lifelong journey. Another one last stop in Philippians here is I like the way that it talks about our sanctification as being like waiting for our ride home, you know? It's like, check this out in chapter 3, verse 20. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> Let me try that one again. But our citizenship is in heaven. You got papers. You got papers. Talk about immigration reform, right? Hello? You got papers for the big house. Not the Ann Arbor big house. I shouldn't even say big house. You got papers for heaven. I should know better than to say that. <laughs> it is a little interesting that this is it's calling the same thing, though. Oh, my gosh. I have a really funny story about that, but I don't have time. I don't even have time. No, I don't have time for this stuff. Okay, so this guy... So this guy, he's a sociologist. He's working on his degree, and he's doing all this study, and all he decides he's going to study churches. So he goes to a church in California, and he sees a special phone on the wall. And right next to it, it says, it says uh, it's a special phone. And he says, hey, what's that phone? And he says, well, look right next to it. There's a little sign that says heaven. Heaven. $25 a minute. All right? So you can talk to heaven for 25 bucks a minute, right? He goes around the country. And he's, I'll just make it shorter. He goes here and there. Where, where he goes? He goes and he says, hey, it's $12 a minute. Hey, look at that. It's $8 a minute. Well, he gets to Michigan, and he goes to a church in Michigan, and he looks, and there's no sign. There's no sign. And so he says, hey, how come, it, how come there's no sign next to your heaven phone? And the pastor says, well, that's because it's a local call. Nine o'clock didn't get that. Yeah, you didn't either, right? Excellent, excellent. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I love that. It's like our, citizens, our papers are already changed. We've been justified. Our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we're waiting now. We're waiting, right? What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus to come and transform us. So we're like, sanctification is a process of cooperating with the Holy Spirit day by day and doing what? Waiting for the bus to come, right? People generally don't like to think about the day of their death. But that's the day the bus comes. That's the day the bus comes. And I can promise you all of this. You may not know the day of your death, but you are one day closer to bus than you were yesterday, right? 
Another thing we don't know about the bus is we never know for sure when the bus is coming, right? So we've got to be ready for the bus. I love that. So this is sanctification. And the question that maybe is rolling through some of your minds is how will I know if I'm in the process of sanctification? This is the part I'm only going to get partway through, I'm sure. So we're running out of time. How will I know? Like, what, will be, what should I be looking for in my life that will tell me that I am engaged in this transformational process of sanctification? And um, I put it up there as a molecular model for reasons that I'll explain next week, okay? It's probably not going to make any sense today. I think you should look for five things. Not an exhaustive list, just from this pastor to these people. Look for these five things. Number one, Look for a deeper understanding of the Word of God. I think that as you walk out this walk, as you're waiting for the bus, as you're cooperating with the Holy Spirit, we should be men and women of the Bible, of the Word of God, reading it, comprehending it, and embracing it. That this is, and this is an evidence, this is an evidence of sanctification, is that we have a deeper understanding of the Word of God. As active believers, we should always be growing. In our, in our understanding of the Bible, because there's always more. Have you noticed that? How many of you have, have seen it happen with me while I'm standing in front of you, and I'm reading a passage to you, and I go, when did God put that there, right? That's hap- and that's happened to you, right? You've read a passage maybe many times before, and you go, when did God put that in there? That's evidence of sanctification. That's that your understanding of the Word of God is growing, that this thing isn't just static, but it is growing, and it's growing day by day. And by understanding, I really mean two things. I mean comprehending it in your head, but embracing it in your heart, too. Man, I have known people through the years who had a ton of Bible knowledge. I mean, it was impressive to hear them talk and be able to spit out Bible verses and even connect certain dots, but it was also evident from being with them that their heart, their heart was still hard. Their heart didn't have love. Their heart, they were condemning. And you could feel it when you were with them. And, I, and you know, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up, right? And so as I talk about ever increasing in, in your understanding of the Word of God, I'm really challenging you to find a balance, a balance between knowing stuff. And yes, you should know stuff, but also embracing it in your heart. Asking God to make the journey from your head to your heart so that you know it in your heart and you're living it out, okay? I mean, is it, is it just not incredible that we have this Bible thing? 31,173 verses in our hands. You all own a Bible. We have it in our hands. <laughs> For three-fourths of church history, they had no Bible. They had no Bible. We have them everywhere. We dial them up on our phones in Greek. We had a Greek question in the under 30 group at our house on Friday night. I couldn't remember the explanation, so I just dialed it up and said, oh yeah, I remember. It's a, we have it. Do we have any excuse for not growing in it? 
I mean, is another rerun of Modern Family really more important than reading five chapters of the Bible? You know, you can do either in a half hour. This is growing in our understanding of the Bible. Man, it's right here. It requires time and attention. But you've got both. You got both. I have both. You know, when I talk about reading five chapters of the Bible a day, that's what I do. But I do that as a Christian, not as a pastor. I don't do that on your time. That's what I would do if I got to be what I really wanted to be, was a middle school science teacher. I would do that before I went to school. You can do that. You should read five chapters of the Bible a day. You're done in less than a year. You're through it. And then you know what you can do? Start again. See what God put in there since last time you were there. You can do this. It's part of cooperating with the Holy Spirit and what he's saying now. Deeper understanding of the word of God. The second thing I think you should be looking for, I'm pretty sure this is where I stopped. Is this where I stopped, Peggy? Oh, I went to three? Oh boy, let's get going. <laughs> Increasing depth of encounter with God. Increasing depth of encounter with God. You know, God is meant to be encountered. He's meant to be experienced. The great paradigm shift between the Old Testament and the New Testament is how God pours out his Holy Spirit, right? In the Old Testament, it says that he poured out his, people encountered God as representatives, as individuals. But in the New Testament, the Bible says in the book of Acts, quotes the prophet Joel, that in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God is meant to be encountered. If you're not encountering God, something's wrong. You should be encountering God. You should be encountering God. And this is his idea. He started it. He's looking for you. If you're resisting this idea about encountering God, he's looking for you. It's how he, did you read the prodigal son? That he, the, the, the dad was on the porch, right, looking for the son to come back, and when the son came back, what did the dad do? He got up and he ran to him, and what did he do when he got to him? He threw his arms around him, and what did he do? He, say it, he kissed him. Say it, dudes. Say it, guys. He kissed him. He kissed him. Just say it, guys. Once you get it out, we'll be easy. He kissed him. Doggone it, he kissed him. He did. He kissed him. He loved him. He showed him. He encountered him. And that's the picture of the Christian, yes? How do you encounter God? Let me suggest four things. Number one, worship. Encounter God in worship. Just move in. You know, it's always your choice. These guys up here, they do such a great job of setting a table. And we talk about this as worship leaders. We, we just set the table. Can't make you eat. Right? That's up to you. It's really up to you. And some of you are going, well, I don't sing. You don't have to sing to worship. I can't sing and I lead worship. Hello? Come on. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? You got a noise in there? Make a noise to the Lord. Go ahead. Go ahead. Make a noise. That was so lame. Make a noise to the Lord, you guys. Let it out, man. 
Empty it out. Prayer. Prayer is how you encounter God. You just keep, keep chasing him. You're really not chasing him. I discovered in seven years of trying that it's not so much about chasing him, but it's about learning where he's looking so, I, so our gaze can meet. And that's prayer. Pray. <laughs> Charlene, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I love looking at some of you guys, and you guys are like three steps ahead of me when I'm talking. <laughs> Hush. Service. You want to encounter God? Serve him. Serve him. Serve him. Man. Amy, when we were out giving out groceries in that trailer park last month, did you encounter God? I know, right? I know, right? I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? It's incredible. So we, we load up groceries, right, Marie? I mean, when we went that trailer park last in December, and we were just walking around, knocking on doors with bags of groceries, and you know what they said? What are you doing here? No. no. They said, thank you. And there was an incredible wash of the Holy Spirit in each encounter. And another thing that happens when you do that kind of thing is you encounter God and each other on the team. Something happens. Another way to encounter God is just through desperation. When you get desperate enough to insist on being in his presence. Right? John Wimber used to say, remember Don? He used to say, you got to get down on your face and roll around on the floor and foam at the mouth or whatever he said. He said, just don't quit until you experience God. Sounded better from Wimber. Thank you for affirming that. I appreciate that. (laughs) One more thing, and then we're going to leave it till next week, is the third thing you should be looking for is stronger relationships and, and deeper participation in community. Stronger relationships is evidence of sanctification. Let me tell you this. I've been reading this Bible for a long time. I've read it from Genesis to Maps, and here's my conclusion about relationships. That there is no biblical version of the Christian faith that can ever be lived in isolation. There there is no version of the Christian faith that can be about you, about you getting saved, and I'm good, and I don't need anybody else. That's that's unbiblical. That's anti-biblical. That you are not saved into a vacuum. You are saved into relationships. Let me put it this way. God is not saving you. He's saving the church. Now you have a personal relationship with him, but you are saved into the body of Christ. You are not the body of Christ. You are a member of the body of Christ by way of your faith in Christ. There is no version of your walk that doesn't include relationships. And this is evidence of sanctification, is that you're getting relationships, and these are, these are spiritually founded relationships. They, have a, they take on a whole different tone when they come in the Spirit. Four kinds of relationships. Ask me what they are. Never mind. One, first one is place-to-place. Place, bless you. Place-to-place relationships. Here's what I mean by that. That when believers are in the same place, worshiping God, putting themselves under the authority of the word, whatever, then there's a relationship. You don't have to know them. Anybody go to Winter Jam last night? Was it great? How, how many people were there? Thousands, right? 
And you were having a place-to-place relationship with them, right? You're in there, and this worship music is like so loud and so crazy. You're with people that huge majority, you have no idea who they are, but you're having a place-to-place relationship with them by being in the same space with them when the Holy Spirit is present. The Bible says in Hebrews that we should, we should, not, we should forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as some are in the habit of doing. People say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, you kind of do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's place-to-place relationship. You're not, you're not called to isolation. So place-to-place. I also call the next one face-to-face relationship. Okay? Where you can look around. You see these faces here? Look around. Go ahead. Look around. See these faces? Oh, yeah, I recognize. You don't know everybody's name, right? Well, I don't either. So there we go. Got that out of the way. But you recognize a face, right? And that's important. Because you come in here Sunday after Sunday, worship the Lord, come under the authority of the Word, you have fellowship together. And it's just, isn't it just cool? And you guys are just weird about sitting in pretty much the same spot all the time. I don't, <laughs> totally don't get that. Like, I'd be everywhere. But that's up to you guys. But it's like, you're sitting with your peeps, kind of, aren't you? It's like, you don't even know their name, but oh yeah, there's that guy, right? There's that guy. That guy. And it's a face-to-face kind of relationship, and the recognition of it builds the, the basis of a relationship. It's important. The third kind of relationship is really a heart-to-heart relationship. Somebody's got to know our hearts. Michael, am I correct? Because we guys especially, we're good at hiding all kinds of stuff in there, aren't we? And if we don't have heart-to-heart relationships... Somebody who can call us out on stuff. We'll just keep building that thing and building that wall. Heart-to-heart relationships. This, this is part of the Christian walk. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. That's heart-to-heart relationship. Where do we get these? We get these in our small groups. You can't really build heart-to-heart relationships in this size group, can you? But what you can do is you can build them in the living rooms, you can build them in the Iron Man groups, you can build them in the Word for Women, you can build them in places, places where people are together in smaller groups where it's a safe place to let go what's on your heart. Right? And it's critical. And then uh, the fourth kind of relationship, it just occurred to me this week I want to share with you, I just call it a plenty-to-want relationship. Here's what I mean. So... You've been in a situation where you had plenty and that there was somebody who wanted that, who needed that. And when you gave it, there was a relationship, right? I still remember the night that we went up. It was so cold out and we rounded up however many of our homeless friends would trust us and we brought them to the church. It's so cold, and we just and we and we gave them places to sleep, and I slept here the night with them, and just a relationship that I still feel with those guys, and I haven't seen them in the longest time, and it was so cool, wasn't it, Amy? That's so cool, and while they were sleeping, before they went to sleep, we went around and got all their shoe sizes. Yeah. So when they woke up next morning, next to their sleeping bag, that we got for them. There was a new pair of boots. 
There's relationship in that. There's relationship in that. You got plenty of something. It might not be money. You got plenty of something. And there's somebody who wants that. And you'll build a relationship and pour it out. In relationships, I strongly recommend diversity in your relationships. Do not, do not surround yourself with people like you. You already know what you're like. All right? I strongly recommend diversity in your relationships as widely as you can possibly make them. I strongly recommend intergenerational relationships. You guys with the white hair, don't think you're done. God's been giving you stuff your whole life. Grab some of these young kids. They don't know crap from apple butter, you guys. And you guys, you guys need to take them out. You guys, you guys need to impart your wisdom to them. You got it. You got plenty of something. I hope it's more apple butter than the other, but you, you, can, you got stuff you can give, right? We're not done, but that's as far as we're going. Father, we come now in the name of your son, Jesus.